If the official explanation of the crime of 9-11 is so obviously flawed, then what is behind the reluctance of the general public to embrace alternative explanations of 9-11? Is it simply a question of lack of access to the facts? Or are there psychological factors involved? In the first half of the show, we will hear part of a presentation from University of Guelph researcher Lori Manuel, given during the Toronto hearings on 9-11 in 2011. With the attacks now more than 12 years in the past, and the 9-11 Commission long ago closed down, what could Canadians possibly do now to correct the official record and bring justice to the many people who died as a result of the attacks? Richard Gage, AIA, is on a tour across the country encouraging people to rethink 9-11. He will share his thoughts with guest interviewer John Wilson in the second half hour. On this week's program, 9-11 Truth in 2014. Is a breakthrough possible? Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of March 21st, 2014. I am series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, Global research.ca. We can also now be heard on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. We'll begin our show with news notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. Until the violation of the February 21st agreement, the Putin government was playing an oddly passive role even while the United States and the EU countries were destabilizing Russia's most important neighbor in an effort that, if successful, could only culminate in the integration of all Ukraine into EU and then into NATO. Crimea would be transformed into a NATO base. Russia would be ousted from its largest and most important naval base, and NATO's relentless drive toward the east would be a dagger pointed directly at Russia. The February 21st agreement was worked out with the EU powers, but it was instantly scrapped by the fascists, and the United States officials went public saluting the new regime and recognizing it as the legitimate government. Did anyone who was thinking believe that Putin would accept this outcome in Ukraine? a country of 46 million people with deep cultural, economic, political, and military ties to Russia? That's from the article, Crimea Referendum, The Hidden Truth Behind the U.S.-Russia Rivalry, by Brian Becker, posted March 20th, originally appearing at liberationnews.org. The shadow that the American eagle has been casting from the sky over Eurasia is waning and shrinking as it steadily declines. The Silk Road is being rebuilt in Eurasia by the Chinese dragon and its friends. Unlike Washington and its Western European friends, Chinese capitalism is not sustained by military force. While Washington continues to wage war and siphon the wealth of vanquished nations, the Chinese just continue to do business across the world as they steadily continue their westward march in Eurasia towards the banks of the Caspian and Mediterranean. In other words, China works while America boxes. 
That's from the article, Westward March of Chinese Dragon in Eurasia, by Madi Darius Nazamroya, posted March 19th, originally appearing on RT Op Edge. The level of aggressiveness, distortions, and outright lying in the German media has not been heard since Goebbels ran the propaganda ministry under Hitler. Now, after Berlin played a leading role in orchestrating the fascist-led putsch in Kiev on February 22nd, the German ruling elite feels that the time is right to repudiate the military restraints placed on Germany after the end of the Second World War and the horrible crimes of the Nazis. It is fueling the conflict with Russia to resume its traditional role as the dominant power in Eastern Europe. Ahead of the EU summit taking place today and tomorrow in Brussels, the German cabinet has approved the EU association agreement with Ukraine that, according to its preamble, seeks, quote, Ukraine's gradual integration in the EU internal market and to support Ukrainian efforts to complete the transition into a functioning market economy, unquote. That is, Berlin and the EU are deepening their ties with outright fascists in the Ukrainian government to turn the country into a cheap labor platform for European finance capital and an outpost of the EU and NATO for military provocations against Russia. That's from the article, U.S.-EU Escalate War Threats Against Russia Over Crimea Annexation, by Johannes Stern and Alex Lantier. Posted March 20th, originally appearing at the World Socialist website. Thanks to shale fracking, the United States recently surpassed Russia as the world's number one exporter of natural gas and will next year become the top oil producer. As the New York Times reported on March 5th, quote, the administration's strategy is to move aggressively to deploy the advantages of its new resources to undercut Russian natural gas sales to Ukraine and Europe, unquote. When Moscow stood up to U.S.-backed jihadists in Syria, the Obama administration understood that the U.S.-Russia button could not be reset to Washington's satisfaction under current conditions. An assertive Russia increasingly coordinated with China, must be taken out of international contention. Washington will move to crush, or at least seriously disrupt, Russia under its sanctions-as-war-by-other-means machine by targeting its energy exports while simultaneously boosting the foreign markets for U.S. natural gas. That's from the article, U.S. Prepares to Gas Russia into Submission, by Glenn Ford. Posted March 19th, originally appearing at Black Agenda Report. These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. More than a decade after the September 11th attacks, there remains a reluctance, even a resistance, even among elements of the anti-war left, to question the official explanation of what caused the attacks. The dominant meme is, of course, that Osama bin Laden launched the attacks from a cave in Afghanistan, catching the U.S. security apparatus completely off guard and triggering the so-called war on terrorism. 
Later in the program, we will get a quick breakdown of the problems with this narrative and hear about current efforts to correct the record. But first, we will hear from a speech given by Lori Manuel at the Toronto hearings on 9-11 from September of 2011. Lori Manuel is a PhD candidate in behavioral neuroscience and toxicology at the University of Guelph. Her academic pedigree includes peer-reviewed publications in both the natural and social sciences. These include psychopharmacological research into the effects of drugs on learning and memory, and on gene expression on mammalian tissues, as well as research on cognitive processing, self-esteem, emotion, and motivation. She contributed to a special issue of the journal American Behavioral Scientist, devoted to what are called State Crimes Against Democracy, and to psychological resistance to embracing alternative accounts of such events. This paper was the basis of her presentation on the final day of the Toronto hearings. The work I will be presenting is based on an international collaboration with five other academics, Drs. DeHaven Smith, Witt, and Hinson in the United States, and Dr. Thorne and the late Dr. Kuzman in, in Australia. My paper is one of the six journal articles published in the special issue of American Behavioral Scientists on State Crimes Against Democracy, and it focuses specifically on scientific studies of attitudes, of biases, and faulty beliefs that can prevent people from processing information that challenges pre-existing assumptions about government, reasoned dissent, public discourse in, in a democratic society. Now, all of the information I present is based on widely accepted scientific research. Some of the concepts and explanations are quite complex and replete with technical jargon, so I will do my best to simplify things where appropriate, but there will be some times when important distinctions between concepts require more technical terminology. Um, Although there are many theories as to why some people refuse to look at evidence that the official account is false, they're not all equally valid theories. It is neither valid nor accurate to claim that just because a person will not examine evidence that the official account is false, that they are simply in denial. The human brain is the most complex organism in the body, and thus the mechanisms by which the mind processes, interprets, and responds to information is equally complex. For example, the human brain is composed of hundreds of billions of neurons, each with thousands of synapses, creating a vastly complex and intricate neural network consisting of up to 100 trillion to up to a quadrillion synaptic connections. At any one time, this organ, this organ is processing an infinite amount of information, both from its internal and external environment most of which we are unconscious of. However, it is often that information of which we are largely unaware that has the most significant influence over our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Even those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors that we adamantly believe to be consciously determined. For example, we assume that when we are looking at something, we are consciously analyzing it based upon the visual information that is entering the brain from the eyes. But this is not entirely accurate. In fact, visual stimuli transduced by the rods and cones in the eyes and sent by electrochemical signals to the central nervous system via the optic nerves does not go directly to the occipital cortex, which is the primary region responsible for processing visual information. 
Instead, it first goes to the lateral geniculate nucleus of the thalamus, another region of the brain that is a part of the limbic system and important to emotional arousal. To put this in simpler terms, this means that you can experience an emotional reaction to something before you are consciously aware that you have even seen it, which in turn then affects how you see it. Perhaps one of the most elegant examples is the discovery of what is commonly known by neuroscientists as mirror neurons. A mirror neuron is a neuron that fires in the brain both when an organism performs an action itself, such as reaching or grasping for an object, and it also fires when that organism observes the same action performed by another organism. Research by psychologists in this area also suggests that this may be one mechanism by which people come to internalize not only the behaviors of others, but their emotions and ideas as well. Since this is a relatively new area of research, I will instead focus on some of the more established psycho, so, um, social psychological mechanisms that may later be shown by neuroscientists to have a very biologically based origin. Okay, so the framework. Alternative explanations of political assassinations, terrorist attacks, and other national tragedies that differ from official state accounts are sometimes dismissed by the general public because they evoke strong cognitive dissonance, a psychological phenomenon which occurs when new ideas or information conflict with previously formed ideologies and accepted beliefs. One approach to dealing with cognitive dissonance is to directly challenge the false belief itself. For example, by presenting evidence that the belief is factually incorrect. This is what most of the presentations at these hearings have done so far, and rightly so and appropriately so. Thus, what I'm going to present on now and even demonstrate is the other method, the indirect approach. Now, the indirect approach, rather than challenging false beliefs directly, instead first points out the potential for the creation and persistence of false beliefs in general. This entails first demonstrating mechanisms by which beliefs can be manipulated and then subsequently exploring what specific beliefs may have been generated falsely. Thus, before I challenge any false beliefs that may be held about the events of 9-11, I will first explain in detail how people can come to hold false beliefs in general. I expect that after I walk you through this, you will be better able to understand why the, di the direct approach, just merely presenting evidence that the false belief is factually incorrect, not often only fails to change the false belief, but sometimes serves to strengthen it. Okay? In psychology, a false belief generally refers to one that has been manipulated, often purposely and outside of the per person's awareness, and sometimes in a very specific direction or misdirection. Um, an elegant and robust example comes from the work of Solomon Ash in the 1940s and Harold Kelly in the 1950s, and later replicated by others, including Neil Widmeyer and John Loy in the, in the late 1980s. And uh, uh, Widmeyer and Loy's paper is the one that I'm going to be focusing on. Uh, this experimental manipulation of beliefs is referred to as the warm-cold effect. In the classroom setting, students in Widmeyer and Loy's experiment were given different introductions to a visiting professor and later asked to describe the professor and his lecturing abilities. But before the professor appeared, half of the students were informed that he was a rather cold person and the other half were informed that he was a rather warm person. 
In addition, students in both groups were also told that the professor, that he was either a professor of physical education or a professor of social psychology. Okay, so we have two things. You're told either he, he's a warm or cold person, and then of those groups, you're also told whether he is a professor of social psychology or, or education. Okay. All the students experienced the exact same lecture, which was delivered in a very neutral manner. Okay? The results showed that students who were led to believe that the lecturer was a warm person not only reported that he was much more likable than students led to believe he was a cold person, they also reported that he was a more competent teacher. This is an example of a false belief because the liking or disliking and the perceptions of competency and incompetency arose from the warm or cold introduction and not from the professor's actual mannerisms or methods of teaching, which were all identical for students. Most importantly, the information regarding the professor's area of expertise as either a professor of physical, physical education or social psychology had no effect on students' perceptions. And this is a footnote, particularly for Professor Jenkins. Neither the area of expertise nor the student's own gender had any interactive effects with the warm or cold manipulation itself. Now, this experimental example has real-world consequences for a functioning democracy, such as when people can be manipulated, for example, by the media into falsely believing that they like or dislike a presidential candidate because of his or her public policy, when in fact the perception arises solely from the media's framing of the candidate merely as likable or dislikable. The issue of competency to hold the highest position of public office does not even need to factor into the equation. Indeed, the creation and persistence of false beliefs can have very serious consequences. A case in point was demonstrated by Steve Hoffman and his colleagues in their paper entitled, There Must Be a Reason, Osama, Saddam, and Inferred Justification, which attempted to explain the strong but false belief held by many Americans that Saddam Hussein was involved in the terrorist attacks of September 11th. It also demonstrates why the direct approach often only serves to strengthen the false belief. And here's a quote from their introduction. Ronald Reagan once remarked that the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they are ignorant, but that they know so much that isn't so. His comment goes to the heart of one of the most contentious issues in democratic theory. How should democracies handle false beliefs? False beliefs present a potentially serious challenge to democratic theory and practice, as citizens with incorrect information cannot form appropriate preferences or evaluate the preferences of others. Kuklinski and colleagues have demonstrated that incorrect beliefs, and now this is distinct from a mere lack of information, a more thoroughly studied phenomenon, are widespread and underlie substantial differences in policy preferences. One explanation that Hoffman and colleagues discuss in their paper is referred to as the information environment explanation, which suggests that the false belief about Saddam Hussein and 9-11 arose primarily from the Bush administration's campaign, which was riddled with false information and innuendo that explicitly and implicitly linked Saddam with al-Qaeda. However, Hoffman and colleagues were also able to show experimentally that there is another social psychological explanation, that of inferred justification, and this is going to be an important term, 
which contributed to the creation and persistence of this false belief. Now, in this experiment, um, and I'm just going to summarize the highlights because it was a very detailed experiment. Uh, they gave participants uh, challenge interviews wherein reliable information was given to counter their false belief. Primarily two newspaper articles reporting that the 9-11 Commission had not discovered any evidence linking Saddam to 9-11, and even a quote from President Bush himself denying any claims of a link between Saddam and Al-Qaeda. The responses were varied and very interesting. Here are some examples of the strategies that people used to resist information that contradicted their beliefs. First, several respondents who had earlier claimed to believe that Saddam denied making this claim in the first place, <laughs> even though it was recorded on the initial survey. In one case, a participant begins by saying that he did believe that Iraq was involved in 9-11 attacks, but then corrects his statement claiming that he knew it was Afghanistan all along. In fact, when the interviewer actually shows him his prior written statement, he continues to deny believing what he answered, even though it was clearly laid out before his eyes. Now, remember that example I told you about how information is taken in through your eyes and it goes to the limbic system first, so you have an emotional reaction and arousal that affects what you see. Okay. These are some of the strategies that uh, Hoffman and his colleagues highlight in their paper. And these are strategies that people use to resist persuasion, and these are all well-known in psychology. So obviously denial, claiming that one did not actually believe what one previously claimed. Counter-arguing, directly rebutting the information. So for example, some respondents respondents could not provide any evidence to support their belief, surprise, surprise, so they fabricated a reason. These people claimed that Saddam had to have been involved because of his hostility towards the U.S. and his support for terrorism. To quote one of the respondents directly, I believe he was definitely involved with it because he was definitely pumping money into the terrorist organizations every way he could. And he would even send $25,000 to somebody who committed suicide to kill another person to their family. Like, how, how, how exactly did they know that? Uh, another one was attitude bolstering. Bringing facts that support one's position to mind without directly refuting the contradictory information. This was the most used strategy, wherein people would often just change the topic or start talking about other good reasons why the U.S. was justified in going to war with Iraq. For example, some people responded that President Bush, President Bush should not be judged so harshly for having acted on faulty information. Quote, well, I think he used the information that he had at the time. If that information was faulty, I can't see how it would be his fault. Selective exposure. Ignoring the information without rebutting it or supporting it with other positions. In fact, Many people simply refuse to continue to engage in the discussion with contradictory information. Quote, I'm going to pass on this one for now. Disputing rationality. Arguing that opinions do not need to be grounded in facts or reasoning. The researcher's example of how this strategy, how this strategy was used by one person is very telling. Interviewer. The September 11th commission found no link between Saddam and 9-11. And this is what President Bush said. This is what the commission said. Do you have any comments on either of these? Respondent. 
Well, I bet they say that the commission didn't have proof of it, but I guess we can still have our opinions and feel that way, even though that is what they say. And finally, inferred justification, a strategy that infers evidence which would support the respondent's beliefs. Now, this last one is very interesting. Basically, respondents retrospectively invented the causal links necessary to justify a favored politician's actions. Quote, inferred justification operates as a backward chain of reasoning that justifies the favored opinion by assuming the causal evidence that would support it. Now, does this sound at least vaguely familiar to anyone, particularly, particularly after hearing yesterday's testimony on the supposedly scientific methods used to determine that fires brought down the World Trade Centers? Perhaps this should be NIST's new logo. Okay. Psychological barriers to state crimes against democracy. Although some people may harbor cynicism about bureaucrats and politicians, most do not want to believe that public officials in general, and especially those at the highest office, would participate in election tampering, assassinations, mass murder, or other high crimes, especially in democratic societies. Now, this is taken from another study. For example, although public cynicism towards government was high in the months prior to 9-11, for example, fewer than 30% of U.S. citizens indicated that they trusted their government to do what is right. Trust in U.S. officials in Washington rose significantly. It more than doubled to 64% in the weeks following the terrorist attacks, suggesting that heightened focus on national security breeds support for incumbent foreign policymakers. Claims that state intelligence and other officials within democratic states could conspire with criminal elements to kill innocent civilians are difficult for citizens of those states to comprehend, even when backed by substantial evidence. Evidence that U.S. officials have used the attacks of 9-11 as a means to manipulate the mass public into accepting two major wars of aggression has been dangerously ignored by mainstream media and academia until recently. And I'm going to quote here from McDermott and Philip Zimbardo. An alternative hypothesis for the current system that bears examination suggests that leaders strive to manipulate public opinion through the strategic use of fear and anger in order to gain political power and advantage. If leaders want or need backing for a particular campaign that is likely to be unpopular or expensive in lives and material, such as war or restrictions on civil liberties, then the effective use of anger threat and fear can work to enhance public support. In this way, a terrorism alarm can simultaneously serve to serve as both a political and a strategic tool, end quote. So to expose and prosecute officials responsible for orchestrating SCADs, people must first be presented with information of such crimes within the public sphere, and second, must be able to objectively consider evidence for supporting those allegations, even facts that challenge their pre-existing beliefs about democratic governments and citizen trust in leaders. As one of uh, the United States' most prominent criminal prosecutors explains in his recent book, The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder, quote, you have to disabuse yourself of any preconceived notion you have that just because George Bush is the President of the United States, 
He is simply incapable of engaging in conduct that smacks of great criminality because if you take that position, a position that has no foundation in logic, you're not going to be receptive to the evidence. End quote. Thus, protecting democracy demands that citizens must be made aware of how they can be manipulated by government and media into forfeiting their civic liberties and duties. Information vital to protecting citizens from crimes against democracy orchestrated by the state, as history has repeatedly demonstrated, can happen particularly in times of disaster, collective shock, and national threat. That was Lori Manuel speaking at the Toronto hearings on 9-11 of the, on the 10th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks about psychological resistance to embracing alternative accounts of state crimes against democracy. Coming up, my colleague John Wilson will interview Richard Gage of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth, who is currently on tour to get Canadians to rethink 9-11. Please stay tuned. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcast out of Winnipeg on campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM and on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. We are also podcast on the website globalresearch.ca. John Wilson here for the Global Research News Hour, and I'm speaking with Richard Gage. Now, he's a professional architect of 26 years, member of the American Institute of Architects, and founder of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Now, uh, first, uh, I would just like to get you to tell us a bit about your background as an architect and how you became... Um, kind of the uh, figurehead of this uh, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth? Well, uh, I have designed uh, all kinds of <coughs> structures, including institutional, commercial, uh, residential, and uh, more recently a $400 million project in Las Vegas with uh, mid-rise, uh, mid-rise office and parking structure and six blocks of retail. And that had 1,200 tons of square of steel-framed fireproofing, a fireproofed steel-framed uh, structure. Mm -hmm. uh, very exciting uh, piece of work to be involved in, but lately I've been doing, uh, for the last four years, the uh, education of the public and the profession relative to the destruction of the three high-rises that were destroyed on 9-11. And so, I mean, a lot of people know that the Twin Towers, you know, were hit by planes and, and they came down and, and were destroyed. And then some people know about how Building 7 also uh, collapsed, uh, World Trade Center 7. Uh, but um, so in your presentation, you're... Um, kind of giving a different explanation than what the media has been telling people for the last 13 years in that uh, there um, were other factors that, that caused uh, this destruction besides the planes hitting them. Is that right? This is true. And, of course, no plane actually hit the third skyscraper. That was uh, World Trade Center 7. <clears throat> so the 2,100 architects and engineers that I represent who have signed a petition demanding a real investigation of what happened to all three skyscrapers 
they are extremely shocked, actually, uh, as I was eight years ago when I learned that a third skyscraper collapsed that day. This is a 47-story high-rise that on the afternoon of 9-11 at 520 uh, after sustain, being, sustaining a few small fires and a little bit of damage from the North Tower when it went down, uh, it drops straight down suddenly, smoothly, into its own footprint and falling at freefall acceleration. That's as fast as a bowling ball falling off the side of the building for at least a third of its fall. And that's uh, unusual. We've seen this, uh, however, uh, all of us on TV, the old hotels, for instance, in Las Vegas, when they bring them down by uh, placing uh, synchronized explosives throughout the columns and beams in the building. Well, that's what this looks like exactly. And yet NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, never even seriously considered the hypothesis of destruction by explosives when they examined the possibilities. They went straight to fire, and uh, we're talking normal office fires, the official reason for this building's collapse. So uh, that's uh, some of, you know, the kind of information you're presenting as, uh, as evidence um, that, you know, we're, we're not being given the full truth here. What about the, the trade towers? Like, what, uh, can you touch on some of the evidence that, uh, that you present about the one and two trade towers. Indeed, uh, we'll be showing uh, in 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 uh, the places we're going to be, including Toronto and London, Ottawa, Montreal, Moncton, Fredericton, St. John's, St. John in Newfoundland, Halifax. Uh, we're going to be on this 17-city tour through Canada, where we started, by the way, in um, Prince George, Victoria, Vancouver, Edmonton. Calgary, Saskatoon, and and Winnipeg, uh, and the what they what we showed them, and what we will be showing the Eastern uh, Canadians relative to the twin towers, is how fast they came down. Also, each of them are completely destroyed in 12 seconds. Each of them start out with a classic implosion, and the first four to six seconds, just like we saw in Building Seven which you can see, by the way, on our website, uh, which is ae911truth.org and rethink911.ca, where you can get the schedule of the appearances uh, and presentations that we'll be doing. So that's rethink911.ca. We'll be showing the lateral ejection of freely flying 400-ton excuse me, four-ton structural steel sections, uh, landings uh, 60 feet, 20 meters outside each of the towers, uh, which takes incredible lateral energy. Um, And so we have uh, lots of evidence in the dust itself that was spread from river to river across lower Manhattan, this uh, hundreds and hundreds of tons of of powder, concrete powder. It has the evidence of previously molten iron microspheres, the, the diameter of a human hair. They're so ubiquitous in all the dust that officials call it a, a signature element of the dust. Well, they have no explanation as to how they got there. Uh, these, these are um, obviously molten, uh, previously molten, and they are also created when... Uh, 
these small red-gray chips that other scientists find in all the World Trade Center dust put in a heater. Uh, so we're talking nanothermite uh, particles uh, found in all the World Trade Center dust that produce the same molten iron spheres that are found as well. This is a very high-tech substance, uh, not... Uh, created in a cave in Afghanistan. We're talking defense contracting, military-grade uh, nanothermite um, that is created in uh, very sophisticated defense contracting laboratories. So we have a huge problem with uh, the forensic side of what's found in the rubble piles, too. Um, so now that it's like it's 2014 and, and you're doing a cross-Canada speaking tour, why... Like, why are you continuing to pursue this? Um, I guess a lot of people, you know, who found out about this information and, and are upset about it, they, they may have kind of felt like it's, there's nothing that can be done. Like, what is your motivation to, to kind of keep doing these tours? Well, we have, in Canada and the U.S., lost a lot of soldiers, 158 in Canada, 6,000 plus in the U.S., we invaded two countries, Afghanistan and Iraq. We've killed a million to two million innocents. Uh, we've lost our civil liberties here in Canada with the Anti-Terrorism Act uh, that takes away valuable, uh, precious uh, civil liberties. Uh, any of us in the U.S. can be arrested uh, for using force, and force isn't even defined. Uh, any of us can be held indefinitely without being told what we're being charged with, without a right to a jury or, or a lawyer. So this is the state of affairs, and guess what? It all goes back to 9-11, including the destruction of the U.S. economy, where trillions have been spent in the global war on terror, which was completely manufactured. That becomes obvious after looking at the evidence by a show of hands, in fact, overwhelmingly people agree with us. Oh, my God, you're right. I didn't know this. I didn't see all this evidence on mainstream media. And now I see it, and now how can I not agree with it? This is very clearly laid out uh, proof of controlled demolition of the three towers. And guess what? There's an equal amount of proof relative to the hijackers uh, being uh, phony. The the plane... Uh, the problems with, with the planes and, and the air drills de designed to confuse the air traffic controllers, put options where millions were made by mostly CIA people, uh, betting that the airliners would go down in value the next day. Lots of inside information and, and provided to the Bush administration as well, <clears throat> and the 9-11 Commission being a complete cover-up and whitewash, just like the NIST reports of the three buildings. So when you add all this up, you realize that uh, there is a public myth that's been created. It's challenged by millions of people, but this is not enough to overturn it. So we, we believe in the 9-11 truth movement that the issue is of extreme importance because we're talk we've been led uh, into a false paradigm uh, and manipulated uh, in all the ways I mentioned, uh, we can't allow that to continue. Uh, the, the people who are running things in the media, the government, uh, are 
creating a false reality and dragging the rest of us into wars uh, and, and, and uh, into... Uh, uh, basically a police state here at home as well. Uh, so if people uh, are okay with that, uh, and that's their conscious decision, uh, that's fine. But until they do become aware of it, we're going to continue putting our 15-second ads up in every train station in Toronto, as we have it right now, which is creating quite a stir. And uh, uh, f- 5 million uh, Toronto subway Train riders will see these on the train announcing platform screens, and uh, that's why we're getting requests for interviews uh, several times a day right now. Uh, so it's very exciting because, you know, how do we get the attention of the Canadian people? And we are relying on the Canadian people, which is why we're here in the 17-city tour, to help us get justice, help us get a real investigation to bring uh bring justice to the family members of the 9-11 victims. The family members started the 9-11 Truth Movement. We serve their needs. Now, uh, you've been getting, like you said, uh, media attention. Uh, I'm assuming a lot of it critical, uh, kind of taking the angle of, you know, uh, you're offending the victims. Have you, have you gotten that a bit? Yeah. 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 In fact, uh, that's what uh, some of the complaints are about. This is offensive. Well, first of all, it's the third skyscraper. Nobody died, theoretically, in this skyscraper. It was 47 stories tall and evacuated after the planes hit the other two skyscrapers. But uh, the implication, of course, is that there is a problem with respect to all three skyscrapers as we've been lied to about them and and they say so they say that's offensive well what's more offensive uh, being lied to about the biggest crime of the century and the cause of it and the source of it and blaming uh, billions of Muslims basically around the world uh, uh, w- if we have to create a little bit of discomfort in people in order to get their attention that they have been brainwashed and that the public myth has been uh, uh, has seduced them into a false reality uh, then so be it uh, we're we're willing to take the heat for creating discomfort mm-hmm. Now, your uh, presentation, which I, I've seen before, um, leads you know leads to the conclusion that there are explosives uh, likely planted in World Trade Center 1, 2, and 7 uh, as the only explanation for the, the way the buildings uh, came down, um, which leads people to speculate who, why, and how. So how do you kind of respond to those kind of questions? Well, obviously, uh, there were 
thousands of incendiary cutter charges placed throughout the columns and beams in Building 7, which set off, set off synchronistically timed floor by floor, bringing it down to the ground in seven seconds symmetrically. In the case of the Twin Towers, uh, many more incendiary charges bringing them down. Uh, and so the implication are that somebody had access to these towers. We do know that there was a elevator modernization, in fact, the largest one in the world going on in the Twin Towers the nine months prior to 9-11, which would have given a group of operatives uh, access to the core columns and beams in adjacent to those elevator shafts. We do know that security would have had to have been involved uh, un- because we're talking 100 tons of very high-tech incendiaries and explosives. Uh, so we want an investigation of the security company. I think your question, and an ACE elevator who had that contract, uh, your question, though, is obviously a more pointed one about planning and executing this operation from a higher level. Mm-hmm. And we don't know how high up this uh, this alternative conspiracy, there is an official conspiracy theory with hijackers conspiring. This, this alternative uh, theory needs to be looked at by criminal investigators and journalists who have the courage, uh, and very few do apparently so far, and even those who do can't get that story aired on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, CBC. It's, it's just not happening. There is a top-down censorship uh, that's well in effect. And so if we're going to start looking at conspiracy, we might start with the censorship. In fact, 90% of the mainstream media in the U.S. is owned by six corporations. Uh, is it, you know, somebody actually did a lot of work to find out who owns those corporations. turns out to be an interlocking board of directors uh, such that the people in the arms industry, the oil industry, the banking industry, the insurance industry seem to own the media and operate and control it as well. All of these industries benefited enormously from 9-11. So I think we have a bigger problem here. Uh, well, which also seems to extend into uh, the the influence of our Congress people because uh, we have been trying to educate them, the, the millions of members of the 9-11 Truth Movement for years uh, since 9-11 began. We, we've given them, certainly turned in our petition when we had 1,000 architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth and in September when we reached over 2,000. Now, uh, other kind of critics of your work, like not, you know, the the official, like, Nilev Commission or NIST, but there's also, like, Popular Mechanics and and uh, uh, National Post journalist Jonathan Kay has wrote and, uh, written extensively. And, uh, and so is there something, like, uh, specific that they tend to latch on to to try to kind of uh, cut down... Uh, your evidence, or and, and also is there evidence that they just avoid altogether? Yeah, well, in the case of Jonathan Kay, um, what he focuses on is the fact that my marriage didn't succeed, and so the, and that I'm having a middle-aged crisis. So uh, this is typical of a lot of people. They do not focus on what we're saying, 
they focus on trying to discredit us. In my case, me, the messenger, mm-hmm. or one of them. And, and in the case of popular mechanics, uh, they purposefully never mentioned the fact that at the time they wrote that book, there were over a thousand architects and engineers signed on to a petition calling for a real investigation in which they made particularly poignant signing statements with particular points of evidence uh, and they never even mentioned. In fact, they said there are no engineers and architects um, backing these, quote, conspiracy theories. Uh, And they focus on, they they, they do not examine the the pools uh, of of molten iron that are found Mm -hmm. that normal office fires and um, and uh, even jet fuel can't even account for half of the temperatures of 1400 Celsius where iron and steel begin to melt. Uh, they don't focus on the free-falling uh, Building 7. They don't focus on the evaporation of steel, which takes four, uh, 2,000 degrees Celsius temperatures. They don't focus on the lateral ejection of freely flying uh, uh, elements um, 60 miles an hour laterally out of the towers. They don't focus on the fact that there's no floors stacked up at the bottom of either tower. There's 110 floors that should be stacked up with 90,000 tons of concrete that's missing. In fact, it's pulverized in midair. They don't focus on the explosions going off 60 stories below this so-called pancaking collapse. So they avoid the essential elements and... and um, try to explain away uh, some of the other things. Have you uh, yourself, um, as a professional architect, have you kind of, has this helped you in your career or, or helped you financially at all by, by being involved in this uh, uh, 9-11 truth movement? Well, about four years ago, I, I, I realized I don't have time to work as an architect. I'm, I'm so busy trying to get the architects and engineers educated. So we've been going to conferences and so forth. So I, I do have a salary, and it is about two-thirds of what I was making as an architect. Uh, and, and that's good enough for me because uh, I'm, I'm uh, dedicated to waking uh, people up. And it is a wake-up call. It's a paradigm shift. Uh, people, uh, once, uh, once you're exposed to this evidence, rationally we get it, but in our gut, uh, in our worldview, uh, and psychologically it's very difficult to, uh, to make the next shift, which is, uh, uh, what does this mean? You know, my whole world is upside down. I thought uh, government was uh, here to protect us, not... Uh, murder 3,000 of us, and, and we don't know that government, you know, in general is the, the problem here. There are certain ele- uh, certainly elements within uh, the U.S. government that, that are complicit here. Uh, they couldn't have pulled this off without that, and we don't exactly know who they are. We want a real investigation that will let the chips fall where they may. The big thing for people to get around, I think, is... Uh, with the evidence being shown is is just that this would um, that, that's probably the hardest part that people would do this and also do it in the face of uh, millions of TV cameras and uh, have this story going on forever like the, the people to get over that 
planes would be flown into a building, then buildings would be blown up with explosives. It's just kind of a hard uh, thing, I, I think, in general, even with tons of evidence for people just to kind of consider. Yes, the bigger the lie, the easier it is for people not to question it, uh, to go along with it. And, and that is a concept used uh, by Hitler's uh, rise to power, and he created a, a lot of lies, uh, big ones, to convince the German people to go along with him in his exploits. And uh, those, those concepts appeared to be uh, operative uh, before and after World War II uh, in starting almost every war uh, in, in the history of war has been started with what's called a false flag operation, which uh, 9-11 is quite uh, a poignant example of where another party, well, one, one's, one's own country is attacked by one and blamed on another, thus uh, with the excuse to start the war. This is how the Vietnam War was started. In fact, uh, declassified uh, documents show that there was never a Gulf of Tonkin uh, incident as they described at all. Uh, the sinking of the Lusitania was a provocation, and uh, the, it was leaked that that civilian ship uh, had uh, armaments in it. Uh, and uh, the World War II also has severe um, uh, problems with the, its initiation with the, with the attack on Pearl Harbor, which uh, it was known the codes were broken and and the best ships were moved out of world uh, out of uh, Pearl Harbor, leaving the other ones and, and unfortunate sailors uh, to die there. Robert Stinnett uh, documented that quite well. The uh, USS Liberty outside of Egypt was attacked, uh, blamed on Egypt, uh, but this was an Israeli attack that uh, survivors of the USS Liberty are out speaking out about now. So many, many problems. The Spanish-American War with the sinking of the Maine or the the the, uh, the the attack on the on the main. Um, we're worried about the next one. Uh, there, it was even Dick Cheney who was talking about uh, uh, attacking our ships in the uh, Persian Gulf and blaming it on Iran when they wanted to destroy Iran and Syria, where the um, the uh, poison uh, gas uh, was. Uh, let loose, that became obvious that it was the, not the uh, Syrian government that put that out, but the um, the, uh, uh, the the rebels actually were responsible for that. So depending on, but you don't see all of this in the mainstream media, you only see it on alternative media. So like this station uh, here, uh, thank God there are still independent stations that uh, have the courage to speak the truth. Now, uh, going back to the uh, your tour across Canada, um, what are you kind of, like, obviously you're trying to spread this information, but uh, what is kind of your, you know, what are you hoping people can do with it, and, and like, who who are you hoping to, to really affect? We want, we, we, there's been an incredible effort to get uh, university professors uh, in architecture and engineering and physics uh, as well as the uh, uh, architects and engineers in, in the community uh, out to these events, students and um, 
anybody really who will listen. Uh, what we want them to do is get informed. Uh, opinions by people are completely irrelevant until they are informed opinions. This evidence informs people. Uh, and then hopefully they feel empowered enough to write uh, their, <clears throat> their MPs to uh, educate others around them with the DVDs and the brochures that we have to email the link to rethink911.ca to uh, every other Canadian. And to, in, in, in the stops that we've had so far, we've had anywhere from two to four people in each stop who are willing to run for Parliament on the platform of 9-11 Truth. And we have lots of materials to support them. So if anybody uh, in your listenership is, is uh, wanting to follow suit and join the 16 people so far we've collected uh, to do just that, uh, then please have them uh, go to rethink911.ca and uh, send in an email indicating such. Uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to say, uh, Richard Gage? Yes, we can't sit on this information. Once we become aware that 9-11 was some sort of an inside operation designed to manipulate the American people, people all around the world, including Canadians, uh, then I'm hoping that people will get a little bit upset, uh, too angry about it, and actually do something. Um, that's what happened to me. Uh, I mean, I was a Reagan Republican. I couldn't... Uh, I, I, I was for the war in Iraq, okay? So I came a long way around. Now, that doesn't mean I'm for Obama. Uh, Obama's continuing most all of the policies of the Bush administration. The difference between the Democrats and the Republicans are almost zero. And the, and the show that they produce is like a, a, a professional wrestle, so-called professional wrestling uh, uh, match. They, they're all in cahoots with each other, and it's, it's, it's really fake. So uh, I've dedicated myself to educating people, but... Um, and there's only a few others that do this full-time. We need all of us to take action. And so thank you, John, for, for taking action, bringing us here, and encouraging your listeners to, to take this uh, paradigm-shifting, myth-shattering uh, information very seriously. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. To get the complete schedule of Richard Gage's tour stops, please visit www.rethink911.ca. You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can hear our programs every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partnering radio stations across the country. We are broadcast on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm. You can also download each episode from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I am series host and producer Michael Welch. Join us again next week.